Well, they say that the way you view your father is one of the biggest influences on the way you view God. And I know that for some, that creates problems because they didn't have a good relationship and that father figure in their life either was absent or uh, was not providing what he should have. And uh, so, you know, even if it's subconscious, sometimes we have just hearing the term father can create some stumbling blocks. Uh, As a dad who has two girls that I love more than words can express, it does really break my heart to know that that's a reality, but I do know that that is true. And although I may not be able to understand exactly what that feels like, I want uh, all of us, my my prayer this week has been one for those uh, that, that maybe have had a more difficult relationship with the Father, really for all of us, that we will see our Heavenly Father in a fresh way today. That we will see the, the grace and the love that he has for us in a unique way. And so that's been the prayer leading into this week as we prepare to jump into this passage that is probably a story that most of you have heard many, many times before. It's one that we often refer to as the prodigal son, even though that term is actually not used anywhere in the story. And we'll talk about why we use that term and maybe even another name that we should be calling this passage. Uh, But here's what I want you to do. I want you to, first of all, I want you to open your Bibles or if you're using your your electronic device or whatever it is, but just find your place in Luke chapter 15. And once you have found your place in Luke 15, I want you to close your Bible. I want you to mark it, close it, or turn that device off. And just because we're so familiar, here's what I want you to do. I actually want you to just close your eyes and listen to this story as if you've never heard it before, okay? Listen and feel the emotion of the story. You ready? Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. 
Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus told this story to stir strong emotions among the leaders or among the people that were listening. In fact, this was a response to the Pharisees criticizing Jesus because he welcomed sinners and ate with them. And so he told three different parables that are all similar and they all are, are, are telling stories of something that was lost and then is found again and then how they would celebrate when what was lost was found. I think there are a few things that will help us in this particular story to unpack some of the meaning here. Uh, first, let's remember that in this culture, the younger son was entitled to a smaller share of the estate than the older son. And so it's interesting that the younger son comes and asks his father for his portion. Now, that portion still would have been substantial. We can surmise from the story that the father was wealthy because later in the story when he says, how many of my father's servants have plenty to eat? He, was, he had enough of an estate that it required several servants. So this would have been significant. But the, the second thing to keep in mind is that it's very unusual for a son to come to his father while the father is still living and ask for his share of the estate. Now, the father could choose to give that to his children before his death if he wanted to, but most commentators will, will tell you that essentially what he was communicating here, the son, by asking for it now, is just as he might as well have just said, I wish you'd go ahead and die. And so the father, shockingly perhaps, actually grants his request and he gives him. His inheritance and the young son decides this is a good time to get out of Dodge. So not long after that, he goes to what verse 13 calls a distant country. And uh, he's wanting to get as far away as he possibly could. Perhaps because he didn't want his family to come after him, to come searching for him. Or perhaps in his rebellion, he just wanted as much physical distance from home as possible to match the emotional distance that he felt with his family. And so he runs away. With all that he has. And this is a picture of someone running from God. We've all been there at some point in some way. We've all been like Jonah. Who when God told him go to Nineveh. Go preach to the Ninevites. And he goes to Tarshish. Which is the complete opposite direction. And maybe in your case you might think. Well I, you know, I haven't been that bad. I haven't just you know, been totally in rebellion against God. But the, the truth of the matter is yeah we have. Whether we recognize it or not, we've been in that boat where we are running the opposite direction. And this son, it says, squandered his wealth and wild living. That leaves a lot to the imagination, doesn't it? The details of what he did don't really matter. But it's clear that he wasted what was given to him, that he burned through everything he had very quickly. And did you know that that's where the term prodigal son comes from? 
Did you know that the word prodigal simply means to be lavish, luxuriant, or to spend recklessly? That's what that term means. We use the term prodigal to mean somebody who is straight away from God. But if you go back to the original term, literally it just means someone who's spending kind of recklessly. And so the prodigal son was the son who took what he had and he spent it lavishly, recklessly, and that's what makes him a prodigal. It's the mistake of believing that you know if, if I can somehow just live it up, or if I can have something that the world offers, that that is going to fill my deepest desire. And there again, I wonder, in fact, more than wonder, I know that in some respect we've been there, where we've bought into that lie of, oh, well, this will finally fulfill me, or this will make me happy, and we realize that that's not the case, as the son figured out here. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've tried to satisfy that deepest desire with something that the world has to offer. I mean, it could be success. It could be climbing the corporate ladder. It could be a relationship. It could be, you know, if I just get married, if I find the right person. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. Those things that just numb uh, the pain that we experience. It could be a desire to live in a certain location, a certain neighborhood, take a certain vacation, drive a certain car. I mean, it really doesn't matter. The list goes on and on, right? The things that we think, oh, if I could only have this then somehow I would be satisfied. And yet what we discover is it's, it's just, it's kind of like filling your body up with empty calories. You know, it tastes good going down, but then two hours later you're hungry again. There's nothing there to really satisfy. I suspect that each of us uh, have tried that at some point in some way in the past. And so rather than being overly critical of the younger son, Perhaps we should see some of ourselves in him. Verse 14 says that, that after he spent everything, he just kind of blew through his money because he was this prodigal and he spent lavishly, that there was a famine in the land. Isn't it amazing how God can get our attention? How things, he'll bring things to us and kind of bring us to the end of ourselves sometimes. That's what's going on here with the younger son. And so he became so desperate. Uh, he was hungry. Things were so bad that he took a job feeding the pigs. Now keep in mind, uh, this was written or this was spoken to a Jewish audience. And so the assumption is that this would have been a Jewish young man. If you've been following along with our reading plan this week, which hang in there if you have. It's been some tough sledding this week. But some of the things that we have read about uh, have been dietary restrictions and what's clean and unclean. And very clearly, pigs are one of those animals that were unclean. God said, stay away from them. And so for this Jewish young man, one of God's chosen people, to be, take a job as a hired servant in a pagan nation where he is forced to feed pigs is Jesus' way of saying he'd hit rock bottom. It couldn't get a lot worse than it was. No friends, no family, no support system. I mean, he, I'm sure he had friends when he was spending lavishly, but now it says nobody gave him anything. And he was so hungry that he wanted to fill his stomach with what he was feeding to the pigs. We got a little picture for you here of Benjamin the pig who's, uh, you know, having him some food. How many of you just say, man, that looks so good. I would love to just sneak in beside Benjamin and put my face down in the pig slop and go to town. Anybody like that sounds so good right now. 
That's how desperate this guy was. He wanted to feed himself with the things that, that, that he was feeding to the pigs. But then verse 17 is kind of the turning point of this story. In verse 17 it says that he came to his senses. In other words, for the first time in a really long time, he had some clarity in his thinking. Isn't it crazy how when we wander down a path away from God, we stop thinking clearly and we don't even realize it at the time, a lot of times. You know, we, we think that, that our thinking makes sense or that there's clarity in it, but, but there's really not. And so finally, he comes to his senses. I mean, you would think that this young man from a stable family had no business running away from home, had no business, you know, asking for his inheritance early, then running away from home. And, and now he's, he's in a place where he's starving and he's feeding the pigs. You would think that he would kind of come to his senses, and eventually he did. We don't know exactly how long it took to get him there, but he did. And again, you know, I read this, I think, yeah, I've been there. I've allowed myself to drift away from where I should have been and sometimes not even realize it and not realize how far away from God I was drifting. And a lot of times it can be some type of crisis that wakes us up and it causes us to come to our senses and to realize, what in the world am I doing? You ever had that moment? It's like, what am I doing here? This is not where I belong. And that's the moment that this young man has, and he comes to his senses, and he realizes that, that man, I, I need to come back to my father. I wonder if there's anybody who's been drifting away from God, but you haven't been willing to admit it to yourself. You really haven't been honest enough to say, I am in a foreign land, I'm in a place that I have no business being. Have you been unwilling to admit it to yourself? Or perhaps... In those moments of clarity, you're admitting it to yourself, but you're not willing to admit it to anyone else. It's like, I've got to keep this a secret. I can't let anybody else know what's going on in my life. This young man comes to a point where he has to make a decision. It says that he came to his senses, but then he came up with a plan, and his plan was to go back home. Verse 18 says that, that he set out to go back to his father. That was his plan. He was going to confess. Father, I've sinned against God, I've sinned against you. He was going to acknowledge I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he was going to ask to be made like one of the hired servants. I found something interesting in reading through in my study this week and reading different commentaries. Now, there apparently is some disagreement about the son's motives in returning back home. There are some who question, is he just playing on the father's emotions here? Is this a ploy to manipulate his father. Uh, is this true repentance or not? But I believe this really is describing a truly repentant heart. That his desire was, he came to his senses and his desire was to get back home and, and to acknowledge I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And so verse 20 says that he got up and went to his father. In other words, he acted on what he knew he should do. Now guys, I need you to hear me on this. It's not enough to realize that you've strayed from God and you need to return back home. It's not enough to feel sorry for your sin or it's not even enough to come up with a plan. you got to do it. You have to act on it. You have to get up and go. And verse 20 says that he got up and he was returning to his father. But remember, he was in a distant country. He couldn't 
get a plane ticket, number one. That wasn't an option. But two, he had no money. He couldn't jump on a Greyhound bus or something like that. I mean, I don't know how he got back, but it would have been a long journey. And there would have been a lot of time for him to think. There would have been a lot of time for the enemy to begin to mess with his mind as he is starting to make this journey back to his father. And don't you imagine that he second-guessed himself on the way back? Don't you imagine that he had thoughts like, you know, my father's not going to want to see me. He's not going to receive me. My older brother, you know, is is never going to want to have anything to do with me. You know those thoughts were running through his head. When he made a plan to go back to the father, there's no doubt in my mind that the enemy tried to oppose him and to mess with his thinking in that way. And, and there again, we've been there too, right? It's like, I need to get back in, in right relationship with God. This is what I need to do. And yet these thoughts start coming in. But he didn't let that stop him. Even though I would imagine that the doubts in his mind swirled like debris in a Texas tornado, he kept going. And he said, I'm going to go back to my father. And now let's, let's turn our attention to the father. One of the other characters in the story who, by the way, is the central figure in this story, not the son. The father is the central figure. Verse 20 says that while the son was a long way off, the father saw him. Now, that leads me to believe that the father was constantly watching and he was eagerly waiting for his son to come back home. Now, he wanted to receive his son back, but the son had to make the decision to return. Once he did, we, we, we saw what happened. We'll get into that here in, in just a moment. But I do want to make this point to say, if you've run away from God, know that he is eagerly waiting for you to return back home. When God uh, uh, waits for us and looks for us, he, he will receive us back with open arms, but we have to decide to come. He's not going to force us to do that. Just as this father, although he eagerly waited for the son to come back, it was the son's decision to come back home. But when he did, Scripture says that the father was filled with compassion. There's no doubt he had rehearsed in his mind many, many times, what would it be like uh, if my son comes back home? What will that day be like when I see him once again? And, you know, it would have been easy to... To kind of play it cool here, to give him a bit of a cold reception or to, you know, have some type of reprimand or something on the front end. But that's not what he did. He was so filled with compassion that it, it, in spite of the way the son left him, again, remembering that that essentially was saying, I wish you were dead. The father still was filled with compassion, which that word means to be moved in the inner parts. It comes from a, a root word, a Greek word that literally means the in inner parts of the human body and to be stirred with compassion means that that you are all stirred up on the inside it's the same word that's used to describe Jesus on multiple occasions where he was stirred to compassion before he healed the sick or he was stirred to compassion because he saw the sheep that were without a shepherd and this compassion that that leads to some type of action the father was moved in such a way that, the, that, that Jesus said he ran to meet his son. Now, again, it's important to understand culture here. In this particular day and time, a grown man didn't run in public. That was considered humiliating. That was beneath him. He was to be more dignified than that. But this father wasn't concerned about that. He didn't care about what others thought of him. He wasn't concerned about trying to be dignified. He was eager to, to get to his son as fast as he possibly could because he wanted to embrace his son. That's all that really mattered. 
Once the two get together, the son begins his apology to the father. He confesses that he sinned against God and against him. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but the father didn't pay any attention. He called for a robe to cover his tattered clothes. He called for a ring to be put on his finger, for sandals to be put on his feet. He called for a fattened calf to be slaughtered so that they could have a feast and they could celebrate the fact that his son has come back home. And then the father said these words that must have been like pure spring water to his thirsty soul. He said, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I remember the last thing the son got out of his mouth was, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The first thing the father says is, this son of mine. He was claiming him and saying, I don't care uh, what you think, if you think you're, you're not worthy to be called my son, you are my son. Parents, have your kids ever done something to make you extremely proud? Have you ever maybe been at a, you know, a, a recital or a concert or a game or something like that, and, and your child does something special, you know, and, and uh, hopefully you don't actually do this because that would be embarrassing, but you want to stand up and say, that's my daughter, that's my son. You know, you're just so proud and you just, you just want to claim them. But do you feel that way when the police show up at your door to talk about the trouble that your child is in? Do you feel that way when you get the call from the school principal to talk about the problems that your child is creating there? Do you feel that way when your child completely ignores you all the time or tells you what an awful parent you are? At that moment, do you just want to stand up and say, that's my child? At moments like that, that's when I want to stand up and say, that's her mama's child. She did not get that from me, right? <laughs> we don't want to claim them and say, yeah, that's my son, that's my daughter, when they're doing something wrong. But that's exactly what this father does. I mean, this son that had gone off and squandered everything comes back and he says, this son of mine, I'm, I'm claiming him. Church family, it's significant that this is the picture of God that is portrayed in this story. I want you to understand that. That we have a father who wants to claim his children. And yes, we need to come back home, but he wants to celebrate when we do that. And so, in light of all that, in light of the, the excessive party that the father throws, I would contend that this story really should be called the story of the prodigal father. Because remember, prodigal means luxuriant or excessive. And that's exactly what the father is doing here. He is going way above and beyond and, and, and throwing this party. I mean, here's this son who chose to leave them. And now he comes back and the father throws a party for him. I mean, does that seem a little over the top to anybody? It sure did to at least one person in the story. And that was the older brother. Verse 28 says that the older brother, when he found out what was going on, he got so angry that he refused to even go in and participate. I suspect that he was thinking something along the lines of, this entitled brat runs away from all his responsibilities at home, blows his entire inheritance, and then comes back because he's desperate, and we throw a party for him? And he's angry. And he's a picture of so many of us in this room right now who can get so self-righteous and think, well, I've never done that, and I can't believe that there would be grace for somebody like that. 
See, the father was ready to receive the son back because he loved him. Because he wanted him to come back. I mean, verse 28 says that not only was he concerned about the younger son, but it says that he went out to plead with the older son. Again, we see his compassion. Compassion for the younger son who had run away, but also compassion for the older son who's having a hard time with this. And, and so he pleads with him and, and, and tries to reason with him and help him to understand what's going on. And the older son blurts out what is bothering him so much. Here's what was bothering him. He says that all these years I've served you. And he even uses a little phrase here. He says, I've never disobeyed you. And then he says, but you've never given me even a young goat to celebrate with my friends. Okay. Now, now the truth is coming to the surface, right? Now we're seeing what the real issue is. The real issue is that the older brother just felt like, well, I never had a chance to celebrate. But then the, the father speaks to him, and very interesting, he addresses him the same way that he did the younger one. He calls him my son. But what he says to him is perhaps the most powerful statement in the entire story. He says, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. You see, the older brother was so blinded by his jealousy and his judgmental spirit that he lost sight of everything that he had. You remember back in verse 12 when it says that the younger son asked for the share of the inheritance? The end of verse 12 says, so he divided his property between them. The father had divided up the property between the younger son and the older son. And so when he says to the older son, everything I have is yours, he's speaking literally. I have given you. This, does, this is yours. Which maybe that's part of why he was upset about the fattened calf being, being offered for his brother. But he missed the fact that he had so much. He wasn't able to celebrate with his younger brother because he lost sight of everything that was his. And I think, oh God, forgive us when we as your people can't celebrate your grace being extended and we get so hung up on things because we forget all that we have. We forget all that has been given to us in Christ. And guys, when God's extravagant grace is on display in somebody's life, we should celebrate it every single time. I can't tell you how many times I've heard well-intentioned Christians say things like, you know, well, I just have a hard time thinking about so-and-so. You know, I don't, I don't really want them to repent. I, I want them to get what they deserve, or I don't really want them coming to church because of what they've done or how they've hurt me. And when we think that way, we're putting ourselves in the shoes of this older brother, and we're forgetting all that God has given to us. He wasn't able to celebrate because he forgot what was his. But the point of all three of these parables in Luke 15 is that when something valuable that was lost is found, you celebrate it. You throw a party and you celebrate because that's the heart of the Father. So my question for you today is this, where do you fit into this story? Where do you fit in? I can tell you who you're not. You're not the Father because that's the figure of God in this story. But every one of us aligns a little bit either with the younger son or the older son. If you find yourself aligning with the younger son and you've run away from God and you've just tried to get as far away from him as you possibly can, I just want to say to you today that it is never too late to come back home. That God 
welcomes you back and wants you to come back. See, sometimes we stray so far that we think there's really no hope for me. I've gone too far. Uh, Maybe God doesn't want me back. Maybe the brothers and sisters don't want me back. Maybe you've allowed all of those thoughts and those fears to keep you from returning back home. But let me just tell you this. It's not a lot of fun to to live off a pig slot. I mean, maybe for a little while going out and doing our own thing and all that seems great, but eventually we realize I'm just filling my stomach with a bunch of junk. And it's not satisfying and it's not what God intended for me to have. And so I just want to invite you today to come to your senses. This has been my prayer, guys, all week long, is that God would grab hold of hearts and if there would be people today that, that would just wake up and realize, man, I've been running from God and I, I need to come to my senses and I need to realize that it's time to come back home. For some of you, that just means returning to a relationship with God that you've already established. You know what it's like to walk in relationship with God, but you've allowed yourself to drift away. For others, that means coming to Him for the very first time. That means having a heart of of confession that believing Jesus has died in my place to pay the penalty for my sins. You see, we said earlier, the Father didn't force the Son to come back home, but I'm going to tell you this, God has pursued us by sending Jesus to die for us, to pay the penalty for our sin. Now we just simply need to respond. And maybe today is your day to say, yes, I'm going to respond in faith by giving my heart to Christ. In fact, I'm going to lead you through a prayer that you can pray. If you have been that child that has run away from God and there's never been a time in your life, I'm not talking about you're already a believer and you just need to kind of make things right. That's important too. But if there's never been a time where you have trusted in Christ and given your heart to Him, then I want to invite you to do that now. The Father waits with these open arms. He will run to meet you. But you have to be the one to come to your senses and decide I'm going to come home. So why not do that now? Let's bow our heads to pray together. And I just want to invite you, if you've never trusted in Christ, to just pray a prayer in your own heart, a prayer of faith, to say, Jesus, I'm trusting you. If you need words to say, you can pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I pray today that you will just receive my my faith my trust in you. Lord, I want to give myself fully to you. I believe that you died on the cross for me, that you rose from the dead on the third day. And so right now I turn from my sin and I give myself fully to you. I surrender to you today, Lord Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. If you prayed a prayer of, of faith and trust like that, I want to know about it. And we'll have opportunity to to talk about that or or to share that here in just a moment. But I also want to say this. A lot of us find ourselves in the position of the older brother. Meaning that we've lost our desire to see those who are far from God come either back to him or come to him for the first time. And guys, I don't know any other way to say it and be real blunt and say if that's the case for us, we need to repent from that. If, if our attitude towards somebody who's far from God is anything but, man, I want to see them come back so that we can celebrate what God is doing in their life, then we need to do business with God as well. And so um, that's my prayer for us, for each of us, 
is that we would just be in a place where we can celebrate all that God is doing in our lives. So let's pray for that as well. Lord, right now I pray that, that you would give us a love specifically for those that are far from you, those that, that do know you already. And Lord, forgive us when we are judgmental. Forgive us when we have the attitude of the older brother that is kind of a self-righteous, I've never done anything wrong kind of a mentality. But God, remind us of how much we need your grace too. And I pray that we are uh, conduits of your grace also, that you would extend that through us. And we thank you for, for the way that you love each of us so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.